0: From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. President Joe Biden is expected to sign the $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill this week. We continue to talk to candidates for statewide office in 2022, and we preview holiday travel on the show this week. Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers are joined by Congressman Colin Allred, a Democrat from Dallas. State Representative Matt Krause, a Republican from Fort Worth who is running for Texas Attorney General, and Kyle Arnold, who covers aviation for the Dallas Morning News. Before we get started, please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe to the Lone Star Politics podcast. It helps us grow the show and helps other listeners find it. The U.S. House passed President Biden's infrastructure bill earlier this month, and the president is scheduled to sign it into law on Monday. More than half of the $1 trillion bill is designated for transportation, utilities, and broadband, while more than $100 billion will go to roads and bridges. It also targets rail, public transit, and water systems. The bill passed with the support of 13 House Republicans, while six Democrats did not vote for it. While the Biden administration is still working to pass its $1.75 trillion Build Back Better bill, Representative Colin Allred, a Democrat who represents Texas's 32nd congressional district, explains what the infrastructure bill will offer North Texas.
1: Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the infrastructure plan. This finally got through. What will it mean for North Texas?
2: Well, this is a big deal for us, and it's a deal that multiple presidents have tried to pull together but have been unable to do. And we did it in a bipartisan way, which I think is important. And for Texas, it's really important. I mean, we're going to get $27 billion for our roads and highways. We're going to get over $3 billion for transit. Our airports are going to get a lot of investment for us here in DFW. It's the second largest economic engine in our state behind only the Port of Houston. So that investment is going to be really important for us. It's going to create jobs, help us combat this congestion that we're going to be increasingly dealing with. We're growing so fast, we need this investment.
3: Congressman, now that the infrastructure plan is passed, can Democrats get the Build Back Better plan through both the House and the Senate? I know the Senate has been a sticking point. Does it get passed?
2: I think so. And I think that we recognize that some of these programs are really critical for our economy. When we're talking about inflation and we're talking about rising costs, a lot of these programs are going to reduce costs for American families particularly for folks with young kids. So whether it's pre-K or capping the cost of child care or you know, dealing with the cost of prescription drugs, this is going to lower costs and actually cut taxes for middle-class families. So it's anti-inflationary. So I think there's a really strong economic argument for it. I think it's also got a really strong foundation in terms of that it's good for our country and has a lot of programs that we really should have done for some time now. Uh, of course, the challenge is going to be to get all 50 senators on the Democratic side in the Senate to vote for it. But that, that's always going to be the challenge there.
1: One issue you have been dedicated to is family leave. It's back in the bill, but Senator Joe Manchin has voiced concerns it shouldn't be included in that package. Do you think it eventually makes it through?
2: You know, I don't know. I think that it's important that we have it in the in the House package because I think it's it's a really important program. You know, we're really our only peer country like ours that doesn't have a national paid family leave policy. It's something that's going to happen to everyone. Everyone at some point in time is going to have to miss some time at work. And particularly for our lower end of our uh, economic spectrum, those are folks who don't have access to any kind of paid family leave. So we're seeing mothers having a baby on a Monday and back to work that same week because they can't afford to miss any more work. In the richest country in the world, I think that's not acceptable.
3: You know, Congressman, if, if the plan doesn't pass the Senate, you're going to have some angry progressive Democrats in the House because they approved the infrastructure bill with the purpose of, of having both packages passed. So I know you're thinking about that. I mean, it would be devastating if, if you couldn't get Build Back Better passed, right?
2: It would certainly make it tougher. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still not giving up at all on uh, us passing uh, the Build Back Better framework. It may take some time to get through the Senate. It may go through some changes. In fact, I know it's going to be changed in the Senate. Uh, but I think we have too many shared values across both chambers here uh, for this not to get across the line. It's, of course, this is the president's domestic agenda also. And so the White House is going to play a big role, I think, in, in getting it across the final line. Uh, but you know, to me, this is important investments that we have to make. And it's also what the American people, I think, want from us. This is what people voted in record numbers for. If president Biden got more votes than any candidate ever for president, on this kind of program.
1: President Biden, speaking of him, his approval numbers are slipped. How does that affect 2022? Is it a problem?
2: Well, I think as people see some of the benefits from uh, this infrastructure bill and uh, from the Build Back Better Act, that we'll see that turn around some. Uh, But it's been a tough summer, let's be honest. And it's been a tough fall. And we are all frustrated still that we're still dealing with COVID. Uh, and that we're seeing costs go up. And and that's why I think it's really important that we make the economic argument that what we're talking about here is actually gonna help with inflation. It's actually gonna cut costs for middle-class families. It's gonna be a tax cut. It's gonna create jobs. We've had three million women, Julie, fall out of the workforce during this pandemic. What we're talking about here in these programs from pre-K to childcare is gonna allow many of those women to return to the workforce which is something I hear from employers all the time here in North Texas, that they're searching for workers and can't find them. So there's a lot here to run on and also to defend.
3: Congressman, uh, let's talk a little Texas politics. There's speculation uh, Well, he's widely expected to get in the race. I'm talking about Beto O'Rourke challenging Greg Abbott for governor. What does he have to do to win?
2: Well, first of all, I guess he's got to announce We'll see uh, whenever that happens. Um, But I think that we've had a session in Austin, that uh, has been extremely radical, that's been out of step with any kind of what you might call conservative values, that has ignored the business community, that hasn't dealt with the main issue that I think Texans were concerned with, which was the electrical grid, and the fact uh, that we spent a week basically in the Stone Age here in Texas when we lost power and had folks having to burn you know wood items that they could to stay warm and, and you know, dying from carbon monoxide poisoning in their apartments, and that was not addressed. But they were addressing you know these red meat cultural issues, talking about uh, you know, who can play what sports and, and children's sports and, and attacking the books that are being you know, assigned in schools. So to me, that's where we need to talk about is what are folks actually concerned with and is this governor addressing it? I, I don't think he is. And so any candidate running against him, I think would have to harp on that.
1: Congressman Colin Allred, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: It might feel like we just had elections in North Texas, But it will soon be primary season, and as part of Lone Star Politics' effort to talk to candidates running for statewide office, this week Julian Grummer talked to Matt Krause, a state representative from Fort Worth who is running in the Republican primary for Attorney General. Krause represents the state's 93rd House district, which is entirely in Tarrant County, and includes parts of Arlington, Fort Worth, Haltom City, Haslett, and Keller. He recently made headlines when a House committee he chairs released a list of 850 books and asked schools to notify the committee if they have those books, and if so, how many copies. The other Republican candidates challenging Ken Paxton are Land Commissioner George P. Bush and former State Supreme Court Justice Eva Guzman. The candidates for the Democratic nomination include civil rights attorney Lee Merritt and former Galveston Mayor Joe Jaworski. Here's Kraus with Julian Gromer.
1: Thanks so much for being here.
4: Hey, good morning, Julian Gromer. It's always good to be on with you.
1: Let's start here. Why are you taking on a fellow Republican in the race for attorney general?
4: Yeah, I think anybody who saw that report last uh, year where the top eight lieutenants under uh, Attorney General Kim Paxton went to the FBI and said, hey, there are some serious allegations of abuse of office and potential bribery that that should concern all of us. And so that's when I really started picking up like, wow, we... Texas could be in trouble if uh, the FBI indicts uh, Attorney General Ken Paxton after he's already the nominee this year and we could go into November without a Republican nominee for Attorney General and then you have a Democrat Attorney General whether it's for uh, redistricting, election integrity, so many big-ticket items we have to have a Republican Attorney General for one who's not indicted or not being investigated uh, to be indicted and that's really why I got in. I was nervous about having somebody who potentially abused their office and potentially took bribes being our Republican nominee next year.
3: One of your rivals in the uh, Mm. GOP primary said last week that if if Paxton is the nominee that the Democrat uh, Democrat would win the office of attorney general. George P. Bush said that on this show last week. Do you agree with him?
4: It it makes it exponentially more likely. and, And I would say Somewhat possible. Uh, If it's anybody else other than the incumbent, the Republicans are going to have a great 2022 cycle. What we saw in Virginia, what we saw in New Jersey, the Biden administration continues to have struggle after struggle after struggle. And so it's going to be a great year for Republicans all up and down the ticket, unless your attorney general nominee is indicted by the FBI where he can no longer even participate on the ballot or millions of dollars can come in from outside uh, Democrat money to really just pound him over and over and over, he could be so weakened that yes, you could lose.
1: And Uh, the Attorney General has said that he has done nothing wrong. Important to point out here, Gromer. All right. Uh, Representative,
3: in your role as acting chairman of the uh, Texas House Committee on General Investigations, you have asked for an investigation into books with a, a list of more 800 books that range from uh, sexuality to racism that could make students feel uncomfortable. Why do you think this is necessary?
4: Well, uh, first of all, as we've told people over and over again, that list isn't exhaustive, Uh, it's not exclusive. And just because a book is on there doesn't mean it's problematic. A lot of people point to that language, as you said, uncomfortable. We took that straight out of House Bill 3979 that passed during the regular session. So I think it's always good for Texas legislators to understand Did we hit the mark on our legislation? Was it too broad? Do we need to narrow or define it more in the future? And so maybe you have a lot of those books on there that are completely appropriate, but they're just brought within that uh, potential violation because of how 3979 and other laws that we passed this last session uh, in terms of sexual health advisory committees, The way that that's drawn so but I also think there's no doubt we've seen it uh, time and again in North Texas in East Texas and everywhere that there are some very very inappropriate books in our uh, schools and parents are doing a good job of bringing those to the attention of the school districts and so I think that that is very healthy because we can all disagree on okay what's appropriate or uh, opening up people to different diverse viewpoints and thoughts totally get that, and I'm totally in favor of that. There are some things, whether it's pornography, whether it's pedophilia, I think we can all draw a a bright line and say we should not have those in our classrooms.
1: At the end of the day, shouldn't it be up to school districts to make the decision of what is in their classrooms?
4: Well, I'd say at the end of the day, it's up to the parents in that school district what books the uh, school districts have in their classrooms. I think it's up to parents to be engaged and active. And involved to make sure uh, you're not seeing some of this filth and inappropriate material in schools, and we've seen that. Like I said, whether it's in Keller ISD, Waller ISD, last week we saw another evidence of that. And so um, I, I do think it's up to the parents. I think that they are the final arbiters of what should be in those uh, schools and in those libraries. But I also think the Texas Legislature has a role. I mean. Obviously, we passed legislation on these topics, it's good for us to see if we did a good job, if we did a bad job, do we need to come back next session and change some things, or do we just leave it alone? So, uh, I, I see a valuable resource, and we've had school districts tell us, they're like, hey, thank you for doing this. This is giving us an opportunity to see what's in our school districts, what we have on our school shelves, because they don't want to get surprised either and be caught up in a firestorm. Uh, of angry parents with an inappropriate book they never thought was on the shelf. So we've heard from parents that they're very appreciative of it. We've heard from school boards and school administration they're very appreciative uh, of the inquiry. And so I, I think that that is a, uh, a worthwhile effort. Just
3: quickly in a moment that we have left, George P. Bush on this show said that your call for that investigation is political theater. Quickly, how do you respond to that?
4: Yeah, it's kind of a weird uh, way to... Uh, put out political theater when it was never intended to be made public when we sent out those letters we never intended to make it public and we didn't somebody else leaked it so this is a letter i never intended to talk about in the public reference in the public because i couldn't because of how the general investigating committee goes and then secondly if you've seen since then i really haven't been able to give a comment on it one way or the other so if you're trying to raise your political profile you're probably not going to do something you never thought you were going to be able to talk about and even once it's out that you still can't comment on very much so there's no political theater there it's just an honest effort to do good Texas public policy in the state. And I think it's been a good thing. You've seen the governor kind of take off on it uh, and, and even go further in the last couple of weeks on this very topic.
1: And in the now shorter time that we have left, if elected, what would be your first priority?
4: Uh, defend the Constitution. Uh, defend the Texas Constitution and U.S. Constitution. That's what you swear an oath to do. That should be the number one job of the Attorney General of the state of Texas every day they get up, whether it's an over-encroaching um, federal government, whether it's issues uh, within the state or at the state, Texas needs a faithful conservative fighter who can defend those values and those freedoms. That's what I would wake up every day doing and focusing on. And I hope that uh, as we continue to go around the state, our message will continue to resonate and folks will understand we are that faithful conservative fighter that Texas needs.
1: State Representative Matt Krause, thanks so much for being with us.
4: Thank you all. Have a great day.
0: Land Commissioner George P. Bush, another candidate for the Republican nomination, joined the show last week. You can check out that interview on NBCDFW.com or by scrolling back through our podcast feed. Finally, let's talk travel ahead of the holidays with Kyle Arnold, who covers aviation for the Dallas Morning News. After both airlines based in North Texas, American and Southwest, experienced disruptions this fall that lasted for days, he tells us what to expect going into the busiest travel time of the year. This conversation is taken from our Lone Star Politics Extra Show, which you can find on our website and streaming app. Kyle, thanks for jumping on with us today.
5: Thanks for having me.
1: Okay, Kyle, the big question. I think everybody wants to know if they are traveling this holiday season, are there going to be massive amounts of delays? Grab your uh, crystal ball.
5: You know, it's, it's, I think if there's weather problems anywhere in the country over those couple of days, we're going to have problems. The airlines are definitely stretched thinner than they ever have been. Um, they seem to be able to handle it under perfect conditions if anything goes wrong. Uh, airlines like American Southwest, uh, Spirit and others have, have just crumbled. So, you know, I don't know if this is a, I wouldn't necessarily blame it on the politics, uh, but the weather is a big factor here.
3: An American man. Um, uh... They've got some problems, uh, you know, the pilots union rejecting, I guess, the sort of what what is it? The extra pay or the. Yeah, the,
5: yeah. Bonus pay.
3: Yeah. The bonus pay situation. How do you think that will impact things going, going forward?
5: I think we've seen in the past when employees are unhappy, no matter what it is, they're less likely to pick up extra shifts after hours, uh, you know, cover other people's shifts. So that always makes it a little more difficult. And like I said, when you're understaffed, uh, you need everybody uh, on deck. And pilots have essentially said, no, we don't want uh, this bonus money. We want a long-term contract instead.
1: So here's a question for people that are, I, I mean, it's interesting to think if you haven't planned travel, but if you want to avoid the crowds around Thanksgiving, what are the best days to fly? Like the weekend before, you know, what's the best way to make your plan to avoid possible problems?
5: I think it's gotten a little harder over this pandemic, actually, because a lot of people are working from home, like myself. I'm sitting here in my bedroom, but if I want to, I can fly back and see my parents in Seattle. I can go there two or three days early. I can uh, set up in in a bedroom there, and I can work from there. So I think in the past, the advice has always been, you know, go on Monday or Tuesday of the week or or try to go the week before. I think we're going to see a lot more people already doing that, this year. So that holiday rush might be spread out a little, which could help airlines. But man, uh, from all the insights we've seen and the surveys we've seen that, you know, holiday travel might be as or busier, busier than it's ever been.
3: You know, Kyle, I, I may be a little late to my destination or to the dinner, but I always travel Thanksgiving day and the planes are empty. It's, it's something that I've done for a long time.
5: It's great advice. Great advice.
3: Yeah, let me let me ask you this: the uh, so are flight attendants and airline workers bracing themselves for the worst, <laughs> because it's been a a, a, a pandemic and a, and as we're coming out of the pandemic, a really a nightmare scenario for violence on these planes. So, are they doing things to prepare for for that? Hopefully, it, it doesn't happen. But oh my goodness.
5: Yeah, I think they've learned a lot of lessons over the last year and a half. It seems like airplanes have been this interesting intersection of everything that's going on with life and politics and the pandemic, whether it's, uh, you know, people punching flight attendants like we've seen in the last few weeks, uh, people protesting over masks, people protesting vaccine mandates, all these things uh, kind of all come together on an airplane. And on top of that, I think we're all a little bit more anxious about being in crowds, around being around other people. Add the stress already of just getting where you're going possible weather problems uh they're definitely working on it but i think you saw you know earlier in the pandemic when these mask mandates were first coming out flight attendants were you know being very forceful with it they've definitely learned some de-escalation skills over the last year it's been a trial by fire uh in that and you know give credit to them every day they go to work they're like a they're like a, an irs man nobody likes them at this point but they're just trying to keep everybody safe and on the job. And, you know, at the same time, they're they're trying to watch out for their own safety. And we've seen in the last couple of weeks uh, that uh, has been difficult with uh, some unruly passengers.
1: Before I let you go, in the holiday rush, if you have like a 10 a.m. flight, what time do you need to get there?
5: I don't think we've seen, uh, at least here in DFW, some the big problems at TSA. Uh, what you probably want to do is really keep an eye on whether you're going to get cancellation notices from, uh, you know, American and Southwest. Sometimes if the sending goes out a day or two in advance, I mean, always get there two hours early. Um, I find that, you know, on a normal day, if I get there about 90 minutes early, it really doesn't even give you that much time. You know, once you check your bags and once you get through TSA, use the restroom before you get to the flight. You know, give yourself two hours. Don't don't make it difficult. But really, the TSA lines have been. Pretty, pretty good at, at DFW and elsewhere over the last couple of years. We don't see those two, three hour waits anymore, even flying out of Orlando a couple of years ago on the day before Thanksgiving not, or the day Cal- before Christmas. You don't see anything.
3: Yeah. Cal, because of the pandemic, we don't see each other in the newsroom a lot, but I, I do know that you came here at an interesting time. What has it been like, man, covering, covering aviation and airline industry um, during this period?
5: it's it's been wild it's uh, you know the airline industry never slows down and it seems like like I mentioned this pandemic everything that happens with politics with news seems to happen uh, on an airplane confined at 35,000 feet where you can't get out of it the interesting thing is I feel like I haven't traveled as much the last uh, year or two I've, I've been on a plane a couple of times gone to New York uh, gone up uh, to Washington state but uh, I think a lot of people uh, are traveling again and' uh, a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines so it's an interesting mix of people that are on planes uh, these days a lot of leisure travelers as they say and, and flight attendants and pilots have said that that's changed the dynamic on an airplane from these seasoned veteran flyers to a lot of people maybe that that aren't used to flying as often
3: are you liking dallas
5: i love i love dallas it's uh, especially this time of year man i got the windows open uh, uh it is it's absolutely beautiful uh I'm here in- and uh my little corner of the world
1: yeah, It's so interesting because this is the time of year where I'm like, I'm so cold. I'm so cold, but uh, i Buffalo
3: girl. I, I know, about but as cold. I
1: as I've said, I've paid my cold weather dues. Sorry. I've paid them. Hey, thanks for being with us. Safe, uh, safe Thanksgiving, Christmas, your holiday. Have have a great time.
5: All right. Happy holidays. All right. All right. thanks,
0: Kyle, for joining us on the show and what about you guys do you are you sticking around are you guys going to brave the skies over the next couple months or what's that
3: look like for you
1: i'm doing a little of everything i'm doing i've started traveling again which is good
3: yeah it's um i i i have as well and what's kind of like unsettling is that the crowds are back i mean I, I've been on full planes. I don't know about oh, you. Oh, I've been on I've, full planes, and um, and I air-
1: didn't travel for a very long time. Yeah. So, um, yes, I've been on full planes, and you know, I just wear my, you know, I do everything I'm supposed to do, and
3: I do get there a little earlier than I used to. I used to be one of those guys that you know, I didn't cut it too close but (laughs) you know it's
1: it's interesting because i because i travel a lot with a photographer and they have like you know 11 cases with them so i've now like gotten to the point that if i'm not there two hours early i'm like i have no time i have no time so you know i always try to get there at a reasonable time but i'm a very like very organized person
3: yeah but he's right the uh Get there early. And, and, and I find that security checkpoints aren't as bad as they were pre-pandemic. So uh, there's that. But certainly I think this season we're going to see that air travel is to a large degree back. Business travel, maybe not. But know, that was an interesting.
1: How about you? Have you been traveling?
3: I've
0: traveled a couple times. And it seemed like it just happened to be during that like six week eight week stretch over the summer i got really lucky and it was during that stretch where everything felt a little a little bit safer um but i am going out of town to visit family over christmas not for thanksgiving um so fingers crossed that weather and staffing and all that kind of stuff cooperates thanks to congressman colin allred state rep matt krauss and kyle arnold for joining the show this week you can stay up to date on texas politics by visiting nbcdfw.com slash lone star politics
3: we'll talk to you next week